Hey everyone, welcome to another uh, Zoom video interview here on Direct Motocross. Billy Rainford here uh, with another one. Uh, man, uh, we were thinking about people we could talk with, trying to have some uh, some fun here in this uh, coronavirus shutdown. And I thought, uh, what about our old friend Disco Stu, uh, Adam Robinson here. So we've got Adam, he's been kind enough to come on here and have a chat with us. He's got all kinds of new things going on and uh, we'll bring him on now. Hey, uh, Adam, hey man, thank you very much for talking with us. Hey, thanks, Billy, for having me on. Good to see you and chat a little bit. Yeah, what, uh, where, it looks like we might have you in your kitchen. What are you up to? Where are you? I'm in the kitchen, you bet. I just finished, uh, let me see, run down the list. Uh, cleaning the house, getting the kids ready for lunch, making lunch, making sure they ate their lunch, and then cleaning up after lunch, and I got no further than the kitchen, so <laughs> here we are. <laughs> As, you know what's funny is uh, I got... I, I'm up here at my mom's place. Uh, you can see the little uh, canal back there in the background here in Lagoon City. But uh, I go for uh, bike rides all the time around, you know, down by the lakeshore and stuff. And I, I was out for a ride and a lady literally came out, took one little stick off of her driveway and went back in the house. I'm like, wow, we have we have run out of things to do, man. Everything is spotless. I know. I know. We're, we're pretty busy up here. I mean, we moved uh, about an hour and 20 minutes north of Kingston uh, last March. So a year ago last March. And we're on 40 acres here. We're lakeside, um, and man, there's there's lots to do. There's obviously business, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, there's all kinds of yard work. We've got some rental um, units and and you know housing and stuff that we uh, that we rent out. We've got some great tenants, and so there's always stuff to do, whether it be you know raking leaves, cutting trees, moving this, doing that. There's lots to do, and looking after two two kids which you're going to see here in a second because it looks like they're trying to come in the door. What's up? Oh, we're going to keep rolling. I love this graph when it goes. Oh. Hey, what, uh, what does uh, Cash Wackamack mean behind you? I don't know uh, what the meaning is. That's what the lake is called. We're on Lake Cash Wackamack, which is um, in North Frontenac. And the lake is, it's a uh, part of the Mississippi River system. And it, uh, it uh, gets fed by the uh, Mazinaw which is uh, near Bonne what Bonneville Park is on, that lake. So it's a whole um, kind of inner, you know, multi-lake uh, area, lots of cottage country. It's not quite the Muskokas, but it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, our population more than doubles uh, in the summertime. Maybe not this year, <laughs> but um, it's, it's a gorgeous area. I mean, if, if a guy feels like he's hit a real early retirement, this is it. <laughs> nice. Now, what's the actual, what's the closest little town you're to? You. Um, so we are closest to Northbrook, Northbrook and Cloyne. Northbrook has a little more, um, which is where my wife grew up actually. Her parents uh, owned a construction company there, uh, building company. And um, so Northbrook is kind of the bigger town. Cloyne is where our kids go to school. We're kind of right in the middle. It's kind of eight, 10 minutes either way. So um, yeah, it's, there's, there's lots to go. If you want to go shopping, do this, that, the other, you can go to Northbrook or you the other one so there, there's plenty around but we're in in the uh the bush far enough if you want to call it where we don't have to leave that often so it's nice nice now you mentioned uh the mississippi uh river system and things like that now for anybody listening south of the border uh, i was surprised when i took highway seven you know from around here cutting across to ottawa that you crossed the a mississippi river but uh obviously it must be some kind of a different mississippi river because the other one the headwaters are up in like northern minnesota and stuff like that uh, I, I'm pretty sure it is. I'm not super up to speed and familiar and all that, um, which I should be, and maybe as time goes on, I'll learn more and more. But 
um, yeah, anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's a long lake, 14 miles long, kind of narrow, so it's super pretty just to go and blow the family in the boat after supper and do a quick tour up and back, because I leave the boat in the water all summer, so it's, it's pretty cool. It's a nice, nice area. Nice, yeah, man. It's, it's, I mean, I haven't spent a whole lot of time up here, but every time I drive, like, northeast of Toronto, like, off the 401, north of it, I wonder why everybody doesn't live up in that area or this area. It's, it's beautiful up here. I know. I, you know what? I think it's, and again, we've had a lot of time to reflect with all these shutdowns and lockdowns and everything else. And I, I think when we talked about it, it's just a lot of people are where they are because of necessity. A lot of people are where they are because it's so super tough with day to day and life in general to look outside the big picture even further and be like, why are we stuck here? That's what we did. We talked about, you know, where we were uh, previous to living here and great little town, um, uh, farm town, uh, just, just west of Lindsay. And, you know, shoot, why are we here? You know what I mean? So that whole conversation sparked uh, an interest and in, yeah, here we are. We ended up in what we call God's country and I don't see us leaving anytime soon. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not far from Lindsay right now. Where, where did you actually uh, grow up as a kid and everything? So I grew up most of my life in Mount Albert. Um, which is now unrecognizable because of, you know, um, the housing market, the city moving north. Uh, it, it's still a small town in its core. But anyway, I grew up in Mount Albert, um, went to public school in Mount Albert, and then went to high school in Newmarket. Um, I, when I started high school, they just opened uh, Dr. Denison, which is up near um, Young Street, up near Silver City anyway, Newmarket. So that area has changed a ton too. It's not the same as it used to be but anyway so I went to high school in Newmarket and then uh, kind of moved here and there moved back to Mount Albert after high school for a bit and then uh, yeah um, moved to where did I move to after there kind of been all over the place. <laughs> hey I've got to ask you most famous motocross or fastest guy to ever come from Mount Albert? Doug Hoover. Ah the sweeper. We actually live, it's, it's cool, I'm glad you brought that up because I wasn't thinking about that. We grew up in the house right beside uh, Doug and his parents. So I tell you, as a kid, um, you know, whenever we moved there, I think I was seven or eight. Motorcycles, what? We could, they couldn't keep us out of the shop. And we were always sneaking over after, you know, in the afternoons after school to hang out at his, his race shop when we were allowed to. And, and man, it was, that's what bit the motorbug that bit me. And that, we went to my first race my parents took me to watch was in 85 at Coketown. And uh, man, I was hooked ever since. I haven't been able to get away from it. I've tried <laughs> uh, for obvious reasons here and there, but it's, it's, it's in you, it's in you. And that was, that was the reason why I got bit by the bug. I was living beside Doug. Cool, man. Do you remember a weird lanky guy on a weird Can-Am motorcycle racing? Uh, looked a lot like this guy, 1985, I Coketown? <laughs> Love to tell you, yeah, I was just a little kid, and I was so excited back then. And man, I wish after all this time goes by, and you go here and there, and you, you do this and that, and I wish that that awe, and you know what what kind of scratches at your surface about, oh my gosh, dirt bikes was still around a little bit. You know what I mean? Because that's all we cared about back then was the sound of them, the roost, the, the just being near them was good enough. Yeah, it's amazing how, like, I look back and, you know, whenever anybody asks my origin story, it's like the dude across the street. I remember I could sit and watch him wash his Suzuki bike with a hose with no, didn't even have a nozzle on it. Just, there's just something about washing a dirt bike and stuff. I just loved it. I was just, you know, it just, just hooked me. Crazy. <laughs> so, okay, so you mentioned um, 
most people their start in riding and motocross and stuff has like to do with a parent or something but was yours Doug Hoover or was it uh, did somebody race how did you get into it um yeah like I said we we live beside it and we're exposed to it day to day you could hear his practice bikes and when he was riding up at the farm behind us and I just my parents bought us little trail bikes they wouldn't let us race my dad um, was terrified of us getting hurt um, so we just trail rode and poked around in the bush and as soon as I was old enough I uh, turned 18. I went out and bought an 85 CR125. And I think why I bought that old lunker then was because those are the bikes that rode, I think, right around that time. And man, it just stuck in my mind. So I'm like, ah, I gotta get this bike. So anyway, I bought an 85 CR125 and rode it around and never did the air filter, never changed the oil, and just was in heaven. So yeah, I started at 18, which is pretty young. And I don't know, I wish I could have started younger, but yeah here we are yeah that's amazing okay so what uh so you got that bike and everything and did you you did some racing and everything what's your racing history my first race uh was in 94 at oval sales barn i don't know if you remember cmc mark had cmc back then it wasn't even cmrc yet and uh they had they did my first race was uh right behind the stovall sales barn that year and uh did a bunch so i started racing in 94 and raced till about 2005. I got hurt pretty bad in 99 um, and took a little bit of time off at knee surgery, had a couple of concussions and actually won the 250 junior provincial title that year. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I missed the pressure washers. Well, remember they used to give those Karcher pressure washers away. I missed it. That was the first year they stopped doing it. So that was cool. And um, yeah, anyway, so raced till about 2005-ish. And I rode for a little bit after that. Nelson uh, from Machine um, would lend me a bike here and there whenever I wanted to go riding. But yeah, so. Okay, how far up did you make it in classes? Uh, intermediate. Yep, I turned intermediate in the spring of 99 and bought two YZs. I bought a 125 and I had uh, a brand new, um, I might have had two 90, 99s, 125 and 250 anyway. Um, I got hurt at Walton used to have those super crosses on Friday night. I don't know if they had them for very long. Anyway, um, I went to there and got hurt. There was a jump, uh, in that spring of 99 that I was terrified to do. And it was, I was being a wuss and I should have jumped it. It was like a really short, short, straight up takeoff and a step up. So I was like, I'm not jumping this thing. So if I get a good start, I'm going to push wide and let everyone go around. But lo and behold, got a good start and someone went just a little wider than I did. He jumped it. I didn't and landed on my foot peg, my left foot peg and just crushed my foot. So it was over from there. I didn't ride or race too, too much since then. The odd vet race here and there, but. Uh, that's awesome. I got to ask you uh, my, my favorite question. What was your first race number? Like how did you choose your first race number? What's the history? First race number was 497 and the 85 CR125 I bought had that number on it. What, Jeff Rustin. Hey? Jeff Rustin. Oh, is that who that was? Well, he probably made it more famous than I did. Let's see who this guy out of the woodwork. I might have crashed a little more than he did, but anyway. <laughs> I'll have to dig out an old photo of him. I have an old photo of him at uh, Acton Raceway, old Leathertown there on the, on the 80s. Cool. Wow, that's weird. Okay, so so those were kind of your uh, racing highlights. I guess you kind of went over. It's always fun to talk about. Uh, I mean, not everybody's a uh, top pro rider, but it's funny what we remember. You know what I mean? And uh, 
we were all probably faster than we uh, think we were faster than we were or whatever, right? It's always kind of fun to fun to talk about stuff. But to, who did you uh, who were you battling back? Name some uh, guys you were racing. In '98, when I won the 250 Junior title, I battled with uh, a guy named Scott Todd, who was a machine racing uh, regular crew regular back then. Um, I battled with Jason Burke's uncle. Hmm. His name was Mark. Um, those are the two guys that probably gave me the most fits. Uh, Ian Hayden, actually, he won the 125 provincial title that year in junior class. And thank Christ he didn't race 250s or I wouldn't have been anywhere close to the front. But <laughs> so, yeah, those, those two guys, Scott Todd and, uh, and Mark Burke, probably were the two guys that, that I uh, rubbed fenders with the most. That's awesome. Well, hopefully we just drag them out. Somebody, a friend of theirs will watch this and see it and tag them or something like that. It's always kind of fun to see who, who comes out yeah. of the woodwork. It's good. It's so hard. I'm sure there was more, but it was, you're just not even thinking about that kind of thing back, you know, in those days for me anyway. So it was, it was fun. It was a challenge and you know, obviously we always wish you did better, but yeah, it was fun. All right. Now then uh, you went off, what'd you go off to, uh, Fleming, what would you what did you go to school for and all that kind of stuff? I mean, let's get to uh, somehow you transitioned into mechanic and stuff. So what uh, where'd this all happen? Um, well, I started um, working in a small engine shop in uh, oh boy, ninety two or ninety three, maybe even younger. Anyway, I was I like mechanics and working with my hands and that kind of thing. And so I worked at a small engine shop at that time. And then uh, went to college for small engine repair to get my uh, ticket. And uh, like a dumbass, I said, nah, I'll write the test after. After I graduated, I said, nah, I'll write the test after. And so I went to Florida for two winters and, yeah, never did write the test. So <laughs> I don't know if it would have made much of a difference looking back. But, yeah. So I, that's how I got into the mechanical part of it. And then in 97... Um, I've been kind of hanging around the machine racing store and shop for a little bit as much as I could as much as they'd allow me to um, being a nobody and then um, I uh, Nelson called me in the spring of 97 no fall of 97 October and uh, I went to work at machine and I worked there for 10 years oh, wow. uh, yep, I worked for him from 97 to 07 um, almost 10 years on the docks, and then uh, from there I went to work for Andre at OTSFF, uh, which was then Suzuki's, and um, yeah, I was with him for almost a decade too. Okay, hey, back I remember Ian Hayden was involved back then too. Did you guys talk about your uh, battles, or did he not know who number 497 was? <laughs> I don't, I don't know that he knew who I was. He was on a different <laughs> then, even as an amateur. I mean, he's all he was always one of the you know the it guys and had that skill and speed and. Just naturally talented. I, I think if I had enrolled a 125 class, I probably would have been mid-pack at best. It just seemed back then that the 250 class was, I don't know, there just wasn't the the higher level of talent in it. Not to discredit that class, but that's just how it was. Right now, if this if there's anything more Canadian than what's going on behind me right now, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what is. We got a couple couple geese here behind, or literally like 15 feet away from. Yeah. Me. <laughs> okay, so who 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 was your uh, when you first started riding with the uh, well? Working for OTSFF, who were your who were your guys? Um, so Andre hired me in 07 to work for Mitch Cook, and Mitch was slated to you know come come into the season in 07 and and do some damage. I mean, he trained hard, worked hard, was working with Giorgio Bay uh, in the off season, and man, that guy had some serious. He always had speed, 
but you know he was putting in a, a ton of extra effort and and uh, you know, if he hadn't got injured probably would have won a lot of races that year um, so anyway I worked for him for the time that he was around in 07 and then once he got hurt which was in Calgary that year I kind of bounced around I actually worked for Jolene I think for a couple of weekends and then I got to work with uh, Gray Davenport um, who I don't know if you remember him he's a really good arena cross yeah so 07 uh, that was that and then 08 I worked for Mitch again um, at the start of the season um, and then I, I don't really remember <laughs> I don't really remember too much of how that season went to be honest with you it was all a bit of a blur okay all right so um how many different teams have you been with if we went over the years here not too many I was yeah. with Machine um when they were you know it was when machine was around and nelson was throttled on with his racing efforts it was he and uh ron from two wheel they were kind of the uh the two programs that were, were cleaning up provincially and uh, nationally so um yeah machine racing is where i got my start and man those days were fun it was it was so much different and i don't want to use the word better it was just different and there was just more I'm more of a, of a warm and fuzzy feel. So I was with them for a long time, worked for Chuck Mesley for, for two seasons. We had a hoop. He won some, um, I don't know if he won too much. I think he won a few motos here and there, but ended up doing well overall. Um, and then worked for Mike Island um, just before that. And actually worked for Galdi for a season in 99. Um, I was his mechanic when he, uh, when he uh, did good there. Um, that year so I got to work for a bunch of different uh, machine guys I actually started the first guy I ever worked for was Pomeroy um, oh no way at the start of the 99 season I started working for him and he crashed I think it was at RJ's which was we call Farrington's back then Farrington's MX Park and anyway he got hurt and then I got moved over to Goldie and yeah the rest was history okay. yeah uh, so machine, uh, to answer your question I got off the topic there so machine racing is the first team we'll call it because they were a legitimate team back then um, and then I went to work for Andre and really that's the only two um, full-fledged you know teams with any kind of history that I worked for um, worked with another team the last uh, few years um, based out of Kitchener there but uh, yeah those um, machine and, and Andre's teams were kind of the, the big big heavy platforms that I worked for okay all right yeah so then um well do we okay I, do you want to throw anybody under the bus or glorify anyone best and worst riders you ever worked with come on I dare you um i wouldn't say worst i've worked just different um i've worked with tyler um medallia i mean i got to work with him at some capacity or another, right when he first turned pro, I, uh, I did suspension for him. Not that first year, because Pro Action did it. Um, but in 08, until um, he moved to Blackfoot, I did suspension for him. So I've got to work with him since he you know, turned professional. And the last three years, actually, I've been fortunate enough to work with him, too. So it's been a really cool story. He was one of my favorites in you know just his his outlook his work ethic his personality race results are race results it's tough to base a guy on the race results you know but in terms of just a guy that yeah i'm gonna be friends with that dude you know 10 years 15 20 years down the road he's he's that guy he's a good dude he was probably one of my favorites um i worked with bob canary for 
from 2010 to 2015 when he retired. And man, me and Bob clicked right away. He's one of those guys that, that, you know, he thrived on having someone at the track that could watch him, um, give him suggestions on the motorcycle, dive in and fix the thing if it wasn't working right. And we had some good races. We had some shitty races, but we had some good races. And uh, I'd actually talked to Bob this morning uh, on the phone for a little bit. So we still keep in touch here and there. Um, he was one of my favorites. He's actually the first guy, Bob, is that I worked with that was that had come from that um, upper level of U.S. racing that had, you know, being around factory teams or factory level teams, had good suspension support, worked with some clicked on dudes. And I learned a ton working with him um, that, you know, I Canadian guys as, as a as a rule back then didn't really have that um the guys i worked with anyway didn't have the the, uh, the background or the ability to just grind out and test and test and know know exactly what they wanted in a dirt bike and boy whether it was right or wrong he knew what he was looking for bob did so yeah that was cool that was uh, an opportunity to work with him that i'm thankful for uh who else um who gave you trouble who gave you what, trouble come on Bob, yeah, he was he was the best guy to work for, and he was the biggest pain in the ass to work for. And we've joked about it over the last you know number of years. He goes, man, I should have listened to you. Maybe we should have run that spring or this spring. And he goes, nah, but yeah, I just like that other one anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, he he was the the biggest pain in my butt, and he was the best guy to work for. So it it was a challenge working with him, but I enjoyed it. It was it it always it always kept you going the racetrack. Um, getting ready to search for that next piece. Yeah, that's funny. And now he's a full-on high-security prison guard. Man, he's got some stories, huh? I wouldn't want to be the uh, the on the business end of him charging at you. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> He'd smile at you the whole time he was doing it, though. Oh yeah, <laughs> he sure would. But there's been a lot of the great guys. Um, you know, not to not to drop names or whatever, but um, worked with Kyle Chisholm. I uh, worked with Matt Gorky, obviously. I, I really enjoyed working with Matt. I feel like we clicked uh, right away um, and uh, had some good success 2015. Uh, we won that championship together and uh, had good success the next year uh, in 16. Um, worked with, man, there's a lot. There's a long list of guys. I mean, my favorites, though, and the guys that stick out in my mind that had a big you know, uh, a big impact on me personally and career-wise would be Bob, Tyler, um, Matt. You know, these are some really good dudes. Snowcross, away from the dirt bike world, I got to work with, uh, I was fortunate enough to work with Ian, uh, Ian Hayden for, man, a long, what felt like a long time. We had some good, good years together, won a lot of races, learned a ton from him. Uh, another guy that knows what he wants for setup and uh, is willing to stay there from sunup to sundown, you know, to grind it out and get it right. So it was good. Now, speaking of snowcross, are you allowed to tell the story about how you met your wife, Sonia? <laughs> yep. So I had just recently got um, um, my, my relationship status changed <laughs> in 2008, Christmas 2008. And um, I was on the road from October till April from, you know, 2004, I went to the U.S. to work in the snowcross world till uh, 2009 uh, is when we stopped traveling to the U.S. full-time for racing. <clears throat> and it was Horseshoe Valley, uh, 2008, um, typical last race of the season, typical trailer parties and all. 
I don't remember how we did that day. It doesn't matter. That four stroke was fast up the hill. So it was uh, cool either way. And uh, yeah, we were leaving the trailer party. Things were looking pretty bleak for the boys. So we, <laughs> we were looking to head back to our chalet. We were staying up on top of the hill, which is, you know, pretty nice digs and stuff. And uh, saw these two girls leaving the, the trailer. And we um, chit-chatted with them earlier in the night, and I just opened the van door. I said, hey, you girls need a ride anywhere? And literally 12 years later, we haven't missed a, a week hanging out with each other. So, yeah, it's kind of a neat story. <laughs> I remember she told it to me, I think, uh, a couple of years ago at the Horseshoe Valley event. She had some other details, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. They were pretty fun. Uh, pretty, pretty good story. Uh, it was cool. We we started, uh, we chit-chatted that night or that, that weekend or whatever, and, uh, um we i came up here i think it might have gone to kingston it doesn't matter either here or kingston to um to hang out again and uh we um literally i've i've seen her since that first time we came up me and a buddy drove up to you know go out for the weekend or whatever and, and, and party and have a couple of drinks and um yeah we've been hanging out literally ever since that's great now uh, great. uh, uh been together and everyone i mean everyone except for us i guess thought we were completely nuts but we moved in together so that was in april we moved in together by the gopher dunes weekend which was <laughs> beginning of june but when you know you know <laughs> now she was a fast snowcross racer herself right yeah she had some good success in the in the u.s and the rock what was then i think the rock maple circuit she won the pro women's championship uh, that year um, so that was kind of cool. We had obviously huge common interests in uh, snowmobile racing and she had dirt bikes and, and uh, yeah, just a ton of common interests. Okay. Now, uh, quick question. What was your first tattoo? Oh boy. I don't know if I want to talk about that. Yeah. So back in the early two thousands, tattoos on your lower back were cool. Oh. Um, so that's, that was my first one, 2002. I blame uh, Mesley for that because he was he was one of the cool cats back then, and uh, he had one on his lower back. A bunch of other guys did him, like, yeah, I'm gonna get that. That looks cool. And I don't know, maybe I probably wouldn't have if I had to do it all over again. <laughs> what does it say? Uh, my initials, AFR. AFR, yeah. the tramp stamp. Oh yeah, yeah. It's fondly referred to as, but it's there, so it's there till the. Till the end. <laughs> That's amazing. The best one I ever saw was at Washougal back in like, I don't know, 04 or something like that. A girl had motocross handlebars on the lower back. Oh boy. That's risky. Yeah, that's risky. I got the photo. I'm going to dig that photo out too. But uh, okay. Hey, it was cool back then. The, the, the blonde, well, what started as like pineapple colored hair and then morphed into frosted tips. It was all cool back then, man. The 90s and 2000s rule. <laughs> yeah, the two earrings going, the big thick. Uh, yeah, you had to. You couldn't go to a dirt bike track without those. Come on. <laughs> I, oh, man, that's awesome. Uh, okay, now how, um, about, how, about, uh, how about this one, too? Tell us the uh, who coined Disco Stew. Nelson, John Nelson. Um, he had nicknames for, I think, everyone. He had nicknames for his kids, his wife, uh, the dog, if he had one. Uh, he had nicknames for everyone. So in 97, when I first started working for him, um, I don't know if you remember, they had those crusty parties. There was, uh, they had a couple of video release parties back then for crusty demon movies and whatever else was like that. 
And um, I went to a Halloween party that was one of those were Halloween theme party. And I had this great big afro and uh, poro shades and a, like a bluish velour suit. And um, yeah, he looks at me, he goes, holy shit, it's Disco Stew. Because he's a Simpsons fan, right? And it stuck. Like it's been however many years and it hasn't gone away. That's amazing. <laughs> I love stories like that. It's, it's, oh, here we go, kids. Okay, is it okay? Sorry, one sec. Give it a rub. You'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> see, if I, if I were to talk through that, it would have switched the video over to me, but I wanted everybody to see you chatting with your kids. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, the natives are getting restless. It's funny. They're four, well, three and eight. Uh, my daughter just turned eight. My son's will be four at the end of May. And I tell you, they go in t eight to 10 minute cycles. They go, they do their thing, and then you can watch your walk, yeah, set your clock by it or your watch by it. Within eight to 10 minutes, they're back. They need an update or they need something else. And then off they go. It's, it's funny. It's working from home with the new business and being a full time daddy daycare. It's, you pull your hair out some days, but it's, it's good. I like it. Uh, dirt bike kids, or what's, uh, what sports are they into? Um, they like soccer. They played soccer up here last year. Um, and the Paisley's in karate. Evan's a little too young for really anything yet. I'd like to get them into hockey next year. They're both pretty good skaters. And there's hockey, I think, I think 40-ish minutes away, 40 minutes, half hour away. So we'll probably start them with that next year, now that we've been here a year. And this year we went through, um, or are still going through our uh, recruit course for the fire department. So that's been super intense, a lot of studying, a lot of, until the lockdown happened, a lot of weekend um, classes and training and stuff. So we kind of put everything on hold this winter to get our, our recruit course done. And then hopefully by the summer, we'll be clear of that and good to go. And we'll, we'll start doing stuff with them next winter, like normal. Wait, what's that? What's that? Uh, what's that story there? What's, what's going on there? I don't know that story. Uh, I joined the local fire department last year, um, last April, and have been training um, at our local hall um, for a year. And then we uh, started our NFPA 101, uh, level one and level two firefighter course um, in, in uh, January, beginning of January. So it's, it's pretty gnarly. It's, uh, it's a good, uh, it's, it's been exciting. Man, I could go on and on about it, but it's, you know, I believe things happen for a reason. And for me to step away from racing and that to be over um, was almost a blessing because this is a challenge like, I'm excited about this, you know, the, the fire service and the recruit course because there's so much information to learn. There's so many things to, to stuff into your brain and to be at my age um, and learn something new from the ground up and have the ceiling be, you know, infinitely high. It's, it's really cool. Um, every time we do something or learn something new or take a new uh, training class, it's just super exciting. Well, that's cool. And I think you hit on something that, I mean, I like, I, get, I don't know, I kind of enjoy the whole philosophy of life and all that kind of stuff. And I think what happens as we get older, we stop learning things and life gets boring. It's so cool to keep, just to keep learning, right? That's what keeps, uh, keeps things going. I think that's important. Yeah. One thing that drove us and me personally to the, to the you know, um, becoming part of the fire service, my brother's been a, um, a career firefighter for 12 years now, and he's, he's damn good at it. He's passionate about it still to this day. And, um, it is an opportunity for me, and this isn't loaded to, oh my gosh, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's what I feel about it. 
it's an opportunity for me to do something for other people and be able to, you know, put yourself on the line for other people because the racing business is, and this isn't to categorize the whole thing into one thing, but you have to be a certain level of selfish to be successful in the racing business because, you know, whether it be the training, whether it be the testing time, the time away from home, you have to dedicate your whole life to, you know, doing that and being, to be successful at it. And the, this fire service opportunity is, is something in a way for me to now, okay, I'm going to do something for somewhere else, for somebody else, um, you know, till I'm too old to do it. So yeah. that's exciting. It's, it's, I've lost 20 pounds since December. We changed the way we eat, we're fit. We, we exercise almost daily every other day for sure, just to be at that level of fitness that you need for it because it's, it's gnarly. It's really not. Yeah, it's funny. I was gonna when we first started chatting there. I was gonna say, it looks the camera's supposed to add ten pounds, and you look like you've lost at least that. So it's kind of a kind of a weird, uh, little different to see you like that, looking looking slim and fit. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been a life changing. I don't want to get all you know weird about it, but it's been a life changing journey since since December um, when we started this course. Um, I didn't want to be the old guy in the group that was lagging behind them. I'm honestly, I'm in better shape and I have more energy and feel better than I have since my twenties, probably if I had to pinpoint it. Nice, um, man. I've got like, I've got a ton of friends who are firefighters and have been forever back in London. And every time I talk to them, I'm like, why isn't everybody a firefighter? <laughs> they're always, I never catch them at work. They're always home. Yeah. There's some not so nice things. I mean, I've, I've believed this and believed in it since my brother started and, and, uh, Man, they, those guys do and see things that the average human probably wouldn't want to, maybe isn't equipped to, um, and they deserve, they need the downtime. It's, it's gnarly. It's not every day is like that, but, you know, um, yeah, there's, there's some things that it's, um, yeah, it's different. But yeah, yeah I'm I think a lot of things have changed, too, now that there are so many uh, mobile um, ambulance places to get to. Cause I know my buddies and their dads were obviously kind of like moto, their dads were firefighters as well and stuff. And a lot of times they were first on scene. I think that's changed a lot now with uh, the different, you know, all the different uh, first responders stuff that are out there now. Yeah. In our area, we're usually still the first respond cause we're pretty rural. Um, and you know, what that means for us is our hall is volunteer based. And so when, you know, not to get too, too technical into it there, but when we get a 911 call, we're always usually the first to respond, um, whether it be medical, whether it be, you know, structure fire, whatever it is. So we're, we're, and it's like that in most career areas too. Everyone goes depending on, you know, what the call is and then they, they do what they do based on, on the demands. Yeah, did you happen to see that uh, cycling video I put up right, right behind me here across there? It's, it's all trails back here. So I was out there for like half an hour. And I crossed Highway 12, went down a gravel road, and all of a sudden all these cars were flying by. I mean, it was volunteer firefighters, and I ended up at some crazy brush fire up there that had like a ton of guys working on it. Oh, yeah, those can get out of hand quickly. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Okay, so now, um, well, let's move on to what, uh, so you've left the, the racing side of things, too, as a team, team manager guy and everything, mechanic and stuff. Now, AGR, we got the AGR race tech suspension, man. What's uh? How's that been going? And what's, tell, tell us a bit about that. Well, a year to uh, open a new business. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been, uh, there's been some lean months. 
um, you know, for sure, which I'm not the only one. I mean, anyone that owns a business right now is, is cringing, but, um, it's been great. You know, I, we decided this time last year that this last season was probably going to be my last, um, being involved with professional racing. Um, just an array of reasons. I won't go into it, you know, too, too much right now there, but we had decided that, you know, spring or summer 19 was going to be my last um, professional season. And, you know, what's next? I sat up and sat up and laid down and thought and thought and walked around. What am I going to do next? You know what I mean? And, and I'm like, I still love motorcycle racing. I still love the technical part of it. I still love everything about it. I just don't want to travel anymore. I don't want to be, um, um, you know, under that, that whatever, a lot of pressure gets put on yourself by the people, whatever it is. I just don't want to deal with that anymore, but still love motorcycle racing. And I love, um, the technical piece of suspension. I love working on suspension. And anyway, so I'm just like, well, if I can do it with a group that has notoriety, that's got great support, that has parts, that's got anything, someone owning a, um, a, uh, you know, um, a Honda touring bike or, or, uh, an XR 50, that's what I want to work with. And there it is. They're, they're one of the only groups that have all of that stuff to offer. So, um, yeah, they were super receptive because of my relationship within the last two years racing. And, um, yeah, it was, they were receptive to it, like I said, and we did the deal and put everything together and, uh, yeah, they, allowed me to become a race tech uh, uh, service center, which usually, hi Evan, sorry one sec, what's um, up? Can I bring my logo in? Yeah, no, it's dirty. You play with my the My toy logo. Well, my toy logo. Sure. You want to come and say hi? Come here. Come and say hi to Billy. You don't want to say hi. Okay. Anyway. Well, because so, of that, Adam, because of that 15 seconds, I now have to check something off on YouTube to say that there are kids in it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyway, yeah, it was, uh, the, the thought that I had about partnering with a group such as race tech worked out perfectly. If I had tried to do it on my own, I mean, there's been some, some guys that have done it on their own. They've been super successful and made it work. Um, I just wasn't sure with everyone else doing it and how good at it they are. You know, if I can't do it with a group like race tech, um maybe i don't do it but it, anyway it worked out and it's been great they've been super supportive really helpful with what they can do and helping me get off the ground and the marketing piece um you know all that good stuff so okay well well let's say i mean uh, let's say somebody wants to get their suspension done what's the process and are you still open and how do they uh you know let's let's sell some suspension for you here yeah no i appreciate it um i i'm not open as is it normally were um, you know, for a customer just to drive up and walk in that stuff obviously isn't allowed anymore. Um, but UPS delivers every day. Um, so I work with them for, for pickup and delivery. They, they come by here every day, even though we're far where we are. Um, best way to, to send stuff is, uh, you know, send me an email. Um, the website is agrsuspension.com. There's, uh, my contact info on there, uh, as well with Instagram at agrsuspension. And shipping stuff in, I mean, if you're within, um, you know, reasonable distance, it's it's really not that expensive. It's not, you know, if you're going to drive stuff here from Barrie, it's probably cheaper to ship the stuff, in all honesty. You'll lose two days' work. you got to pay all the fuel. It's probably easier and, and, and cheaper just to ship the stuff. 
Um, and to, to, forward, to, to further that, I did a, an arrangement with Bondi Engines. Chris and I have been friends for a really long time, worked together on different racing projects, and uh, he's agreed to be a drop center for me. So if a customer from that area wants to get their suspension done by Race Tech and myself, they can drop their suspension um, to Bondi Engines, bring their bike in, and he'll ship stuff right from there. So they don't have to deal with any of that shipping nonsense. He'll have boxes nope. and stuff. Tell, tell people where Bondi. Tell people where Bondi Engines is. Uh, he's in Innisfil, Ontario. Yeah, BondiEngines.com is uh, is his website. So he's got all his contact info on there as well. So it's a good partnership. I mean, you know, for a customer looking to get a full meal deal package, engine suspension, all that good stuff. You know, I don't know that in in our area there's there's much of a, a better option. Okay, cool. Hey, I got to, I have another question kind of unrelated. What does the song No Diggity mean to you? <laughs> oh boy. Not too much until uh, uh, an old high school buddy of mine sent me this email. He's like, hey, what do you think of this? I said, I think you're crazy because I don't think it's going to sound very good. <laughs> Was my response, but I'm like, all right, I'll give it a try. So I played it over a few times and I'm like, man, you might be onto something. So anyway, he did all the, the production work, paid for the production and, and the studio time and all that good stuff, video, and it was fun. It was fun. It's a part of my life that I don't do too, too often. I played in bands and stuff in high school and jammed all the time and played, still play guitar, it's hanging on the wall of the living room. But um, yeah, it was a fun project. I tell you, man, I've like back in the day, I tried playing a lot of, not a lot, playing some guitar and stuff, just chords and things like that. But I liked that idea of taking old hip hop songs and slowing them down, doing them acoustic. I, I always tried to do that. I love that. So if anybody's looking for the no diggity, what is it? You say Socrates or the Socrates? What do they call them? So greats? So greats. Yeah, so greats. So greats. Not Socrates? Uh, it's on my, uh, my, my personal Instagram page um, at, what is that even? Uh, how bad is that? I don't even remember what my own is called. I don't go on it very often. I'm like a closet Instagrammer. I don't ever post, but I have it. Um, at Adam Stu Robinson. So it's on there. Now, is that the only song you did with him? Yeah, he, uh, he wanted to do another project last spring. But man, I didn't have the time. It, it takes, if you're going to do it, you can't half-ass something. So it takes hours and hours to go over it. You, perfect at it and have it sound good and we moved here uh in march last year and we undertook a huge renovation racing was getting going early with arena cross and testing and i'm like dude i i can't i i don't have the time because i can't do it right so i just don't want to do it so yeah but yeah maybe one day there'll be another little project coming along it's fun i i really wish i had a stuck with music um i don't know if i'd still be around today because they can there's a lot of other stuff that goes along with it but um i played in, in a few bands in high school and was was pretty okay at it um but then i got hooked on the dirt bike thing and it was ah put the guitar down <laughs> so. all right man well hey uh we're all i know we're gonna start losing control of the kids it must be either a late lunch or a snack time or something to do you got to do there but uh dude i really appreciate you taking the time to do this it's kind of fun we take a walk down memory lane people get to know the guys in our industry racers industry people and we uh, hopefully, you know, help promote some of your, you know, Racetech's always been really good for uh, the past couple of years here with direct motocross. They are so cool to work with and everything. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, they're a great bunch. Like I said, I'm, I'm super fortunate to uh, have been able to link up with them. And, man, they've got a great product. And that's not a sales pitch. I've worked 
on, you know, what we'll call the front line of our business with that stuff. And, and we've won races. We've been successful at the gnarliest tracks ever. And that's why they felt like the relationship could work so well because I've worked with that stuff um, on the front lines and, and made race day changes and, and just the stuff works. It's so good. And I know and understand the, the, the way our local tracks work. And it's just that, yeah, it was a good, good partnership and a good relationship to have with them. All right. Well, that's great. man. So it's agrsuspension.com to check it out. You're, uh, you're still open for business. You don't just walk in the door, you send stuff to you, maybe through bond, bondy engines. Uh, and that yeah, kind of can ship stuff. people can ship stuff uh, directly to me too. Um, it's, it's super easy. I can email shipping labels. I try to take, like a lot of guys do try to take the shipping hassle out of it because that's probably the biggest pain in the, in the butt for people getting suspension done is the shipping. You know what I mean? Well, how long am I going to be without it? How much does it cost? Where do I get a box? Well, not everyone has a 48 inch long box laying around. So I've got all that stuff. You know what I mean? And we make it, we make it pretty easy. So, and I'm, what's the, uh, what's the least you could spend to get your stuff tuned up and what's the most you could spend? So, my philosophy, and I don't like to say this out loud, but I say it often because it's true. Um, you know, uh, um, a, uh, a cheap tattoo isn't good, and a good tattoo isn't cheap. It's the same thing holds true with suspension. You know what I mean? There's lots of good stuff uh, out there for a reasonable price, and I feel like we're within that price point. Um, there's lots of stuff that you can pay way less money for. Um, and that's great because that's a target price point that people love and maybe that was what fits into their budget and that's great. I mean, we're kind of right in the middle. I feel like for a good set of suspension, brand new dirt bike, if the guy doesn't need springs, you send it in, you get uh, the gold valves installed and set up for you. You're probably, you know, 800 to $1,200 with tax is what it usually costs. And, and in the suspension world, that's a pretty, pretty darn reasonable number to get, to get quality stuff. Okay. So the moral of your, the whole moral of the story is spend a lot of money on your tramp stamp. Is that what you're saying? Ooh, that one was actually middle of the road and maybe I should have spent a little bit more money or just not got it at all. <laughs> but no, it's, uh, it, it's, I don't know, it, it's a slippery slope and tricky deal because, you know, how do you tell somebody you got to spend $2,000 on your dirt bike to be able to ride it? You can't, you don't, you, you, have um, and, and customers know what they want. There's guys that want to spend, or, or not guys and girls. There's customers that want to spend. You know, they want to spend five hundred dollars. Well, that that's awesome. You can spend five hundred dollars. You'll get um, a much better setup than stock is. You know, typically you can spend two thousand dollars. And you know, a lot of these air spring forks they need help, and it costs money to get that help. And but once you do that and you get there. It, it, it's a night and day difference. So it, it's all relative to what, you know, what a person wants. I've had some, you know, comments, not just lately, but over the years of, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's that much. Well, you know, it's, it's, if you look at um, the, the industry as a whole, you're, you're, like I said, 800 to, to $1,200 right around that's that sweet spot for good suspension that you can, you know, trust that's stable, that's safe and is going to give you more performance than much kind of stuff. All right. Well, hey, like I always tell people, especially if they've never had anything but stock suspension, save your money on your graphics, go out, spend a bit of money, whatever you can afford, get the suspension done. Because it is, like you say, it is night and day. It's, it's not even a, it's the most important yeah. thing. 
It is. It really is. I mean, good engines are great. They, you need them to get good starts. You need them to make the bike more rideable. But, you know, good suspension, properly sprung, properly valved, and all that, that science that's behind the scenes put into to your bike, it's going to be safer. You'll be more comfortable, and comfort usually equals speed. It's, it's just all a, it's a snowball. All right, buddy. Well, how about we uh, how about we end it there? I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it's lunchtime for me here too, actually. What I'll uh, we'll get this up, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. And hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully you continue there and have some fun uh, working away from home with the kids. And then maybe you'll be fighting fire soon, I guess. Yeah, we uh, we got put into service in uh, in January, so we had uh, we've had a couple of uh, a couple of pretty good calls. Um, a lot of smaller stuff lately, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting through the, the whole uh, recruit process and, and getting going with it. And uh, yeah, hopefully have a long, long career with that. All right. Well, hey, again, thank you very much. Say hello to Sonia and uh, appreciate you taking the time and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully when the racing gets going again someday. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Billy. Hopefully you guys are staying safe and uh, everyone else watching. Uh, thanks for watching. Um, you know, check out agrsuspension.com. If you need anything, I'm here. Um, if it's just some information, if it's to get your suspension done, whatever, I'm always around and, and willing to help. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll chat with you guys soon.